Shoo-bee-dee-bop. Shoo-bee-doo-bee-doo-bee. Um, it's just scat. <laughs> Our opener. <laughs> yeah, you're going to do that alone. <laughs> uh, you got something better? I Please. Like, I like impromptu scatting. <laughs> I don't like being forced to do it. <laughs> I like to scat on my own time. <laughs> okay. I'm fine. Anyway, you were going to say... I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, you know how... So we both watched Schitt's Creek. Yes. And Alexis says, love that journey for you. Or I love this journey for you. <laughs> yes. And so I say it because I think it's really funny. And the other day I was... <laughs> we were doing something that Zeth didn't like. And he was like, wow, I really hate this journey for me. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it killed me. I thought it was so funny. That's amazing. <laughs> I wish I knew somebody named Alexis so that I could walk around. Alexis. (laughs) I wish I could. We had somebody at work left a message Mm -hmm. with one of my coworkers for me. And I did not know who this person was, Uh but their name was Moira. And my coworker was like, have you heard of a Moira? And I was like, if I heard of a Moira, Moira, I would remember it because it's from one of my favorite shows. (laughs) So I do not know who this woman is. I don't know her. I don't know what she wants from me. But I'll talk to her. <laughs> Perfect. That's your job is. Yeah. Talk to people. Yeah. Make it much. happen. Yeah. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> we're here. And we're here. Yep. <laughs> My name is Kiana. I'm Cassie. This is That Broad's Got Moxie. Mm-hmm. Danny's here. Danny's here. Just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> she's not pleased to be here. <laughs> no, she's but not. she's here. She's pretty over it. <laughs> I tired. blame it on Cassie. What? <laughs> what? You were, I blame it on you. Oh. You were attacking her earlier. Oh. I was not. <laughs> yeah, you Look, were. you two need to stop this now. I think you need to stop this I do. Now. I do. It's a true story. It's episode 44. 44. <laughs> that means Cassie gets to go first. Exactly. The big 4-4. Four, four. The big 4-4. Four, four. Four times eleven. <laughs> it's four four. Very good for all you mathematicians. Twenty two <laughs> times two, also four four. That's shout out to all our mathematicians out there. Woo woo. Danny shared a very cute and lovely video mm-hmm. of a second grade class. Yeah, and a teacher had instructed them to sing a song to the beat of Lizzo's. To the tune. Truth. Yeah, the to tune the tune of, of Lizzo's. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. Oh my god. <laughs> And it was so cute. And one of the lines is, I got math problems. That's the student in me. (laughs) Very good. Uh, It's very cute. I enjoyed it. And she, the teacher, is like up on this little like child table. In heels. With like big heels. (laughs) And she's leading the pack. And it was like, you go, girl. Yeah, she killed it. It It's so cute. Yeah. Very inspiring. I, I think my response was, this is the future. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> All right. So, this week, I'm going to save my things to the end. But, so I'm going I'm going to start with a tweet because <laughs> this woman kills me. I 
Is the woman you're talking about still alive? Yes, she is. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this is a tweet. It says, Did you get the deal you wanted on Black Friday or Cyber Monday? Just remember that orgasms are free and always available. What? <laughs> so, who is it? Today, I'm going to talk about Dr. Ruth Westheimer. <laughs> yes! Yes. Dr. Oh, Ruth yes. is a fucking icon. I grew up with her doing the Herbal Essence commercials. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Freaking loved those. Before I knew what sex was. Exactly! <laughs> if you enjoyed that, you should try the body wash. <laughs> it's so funny. She's an icon. I just love her. Yeah. I fucking love her. Oh, she's great. I'm assuming the documentary you watched was on Hulu. The documentary is on Hulu. It is called Ask Dr. Ruth. I cried probably four times. Oh. It's beautiful. And it's such a good story. And she is such a fucking gem of a woman. Like, I'm blown away by her story. And just... She's just... She's so smart and she's so positive and funny and there's a part in it where her granddaughter is uh, asked she's like are you a feminist and she's like no and that asks her a bunch of questions like do you believe women should get equal pay Mm -hmm. do you you know it's all these things (laughs) so finally her daughter is like mom say i'm a non-radical feminist (sighs) and she goes i'm a non-radical feminist (laughs) (laughs) and it was just oh it was so cute and she's amazing so anyway dr ruth Here we go. So, psychologist, author, broadcaster, family and sex counselor, Carola Ruth Siegel, was born June 4th, 1928, in a village just outside of Frankfurt, Germany. She grew up the only child in a middle-class Orthodox Jewish family. Her father, Julius Siegel, was a prosperous notions salesman. Mm Mm-hmm. And her mother, Irma Siegel, was a cattle rancher's daughter. That's her occupation. I I guess. (laughs) Cattle rancher's daughter. Cattle rancher's daughter. (laughs) But also, you know, housewife, mother, etc. Ruth was a very curious and inquisitive child and would often sneak into her father's library and read his books. She found... I think, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was like The Joy of Marriage or Mm -hmm. The Joy of Love or something like that. And this was the first time that she ever saw illustrations of sex. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I'm sorry, what's this? (laughs) (laughs) Is this what my parents are doing? I don't know about this. (laughs) So she she was an only child. She was probably a little bit spoiled. At one point, she's like, I had tons of dolls and a pair of roller skates. I was very happy. However, her carefree childhood was cut short when the Nazis came to power in 1933. Ruth's world was violently shattered by Kristallnacht, which is the night of broken glass, which was the first of many Nazi riots persecuting the Jews. So seven days after that, an SS soldier came to take away her father. 
Mm. A few months after he had been taken, she received a postcard from him while he was at a labor camp. Okay. And he had made arrangements for her to go to Switzerland with a group of other Jewish children. So, real quick, this is, the first part is very sound. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, there's not a lot of happy stories coming out of World War II. Very, very sad stories. So, she was sent on a train to the protection of a Swiss school, which eventually kind of evolved into an orphanage for Jewish refugee children. Yeah. She never saw her family again, though they continued to write letters uh, for several years. But, like, later, much later in life, mm-hmm. as an, you know, as an adult, she found out that her father was killed in Auschwitz, oh. in the concentration camp. And her mother, in, like, the the listing and it actually shows us in the documentary of her looking up this information um oh. her mother was listed as verschwollen which is like just disappeared yeah so she was killed somewhere but nobody knows when or how which is very it's fucking sad and it's yeah sad's like the least <laughs> it it doesn't it doesn't quite encompass encompass tragedy that's really yeah what World it's War fucking heartbreaking i mean is the holocaust what it is. was yeah so ruth suffered immensely during this time like growing up in this school slash orphanage because she was treated like a second class citizen at the school so basically her and the other all the other german kids mm-hmm. were like oh nobody likes you yeah you don't belong here so they were made to do like housekeeping and cooking and laundry for all of the other like Swiss children, mm-hmm. which is some real bullshit. She frequently caused concern amongst her teachers with her chatty personality <laughs> and willingness to share her knowledge on taboo subjects such as menstruation with the other girls. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> God forbid they know what's going to happen to their bodies in yeah. a couple years. This was also the place where she met her first love, which they talk about in the documentary, and it's very sweet. Oh. So anyway, after the war, Ruth immigrated with a bunch of her friends. They got on a boat, went to Israel, mm. to, you know, the homeland. Yeah. And then eventually made their way to Palestine and she became a Zionist. Zionist? Yeah. Zion. I was like, that sounded weird when I said that. So, I remember, I briefly remember, we had this conversation yeah. where I was like, how do we feel about Israel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you explained a little bit. Do you have... Can you briefly explain what that is? So, Again, to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, essentially, a Zionist is a... Jewish, well, not always a Jewish person, but typically a Jewish Jewish person who thinks Israel is the homeland and Palestinians shouldn't be there. Okay. So. <laughs> That's the long and short of it. <laughs> That's the long and short of it. It's a very complicated issue, obviously. It's That's been... why the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has happened. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. I don't want to get too far into it because it's okay. very controversial. <laughs> okay. But 
<laughs> but just for just yeah that's just so we know okay yeah. thank you so when she first got to israel and they were writing out her papers and stuff mm-hmm. they were like what's your name and she said corolla which i'm not saying it with a german accent but it's Kaola. yeah right? and they were like nope <laughs> that's too german we oh. we don't want any of that. It sounds it sounds too German. Yeah, pick a different name. And so her middle name was Ruth, and she was like, "Well, if my family is ever going to be able is going to come and find me, mm-hmm. you know, they'll know that I just switched these two. Yeah, okay. She then became a scout and a sniper for the Haganah, which is the Jewish underground army. That was fighting for the creation of a Jewish homeland. Yeah. Yeah. So, she never had to shoot anybody. Okay. So, she's not a murderer. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But Mm -hmm. she did a lot of, like, spying on people. Mm -hmm. She knows how to put together an assault rifle, which is very scary, because she does it in the thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But mostly, it was just looking out, you know, communicating with other people, like, letting them know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Anyway... On May 14th, 1948, Israel declared its independence. And then a couple weeks later, on June 4th, which was Ruth's 20th birthday, Mm -hmm. when she was heading back to her kibbutz, which is just the building where she lived, these fucking alarms went off and she was like, well, this is bad. So she went down into a bunker Mm -hmm. and a bomb exploded right outside the building. Very bad. She mm-hmm. was in... Both of her feet were injured, and one of them, like, the top of one of her feet was just decimated. Ugh. Yeah. It was very bad. Oh, many, many people were injured. Yeah. Um. So the hospital beds were full of injured soldiers, so she was relegated to a bookshelf. <laughs> because she's just wee. <laughs> <laughs> she recovered mm-hmm. perfectly fine, but it was, like... That there's a lot of bones in yeah, your feet. A lot of little bones. A lot of little bones, a lot of tendons. But she did, after a very long recovery, she healed up just fine. Okay. Because of her tiny four foot seven inch frame, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very small, yeah. <laughs> Ruth frequently worried that she would never marry and, in fact, wrote in her diary Nobody is going to want me because I'm short and ugly. <laughs> and that. Broke my fucking heart. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Danny just said same. <laughs> um, I don't think you're short and ugly. I don't think so either. That's when I married you. You're a hot piece of ass. <laughs> She's a person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, guy. I'm not that person. Quit objectifying her. I'm sorry. Let her speak. <laughs> Stop it. You're both a fucking menace. <laughs> all right. Anyway, this she shouldn't have fucking worried about this at all mm-hmm. because she had the hookup very, very shortly after. So in 1950, this very handsome, very handsome Israeli soldier named David from like the same building she lived in mm-hmm. proposed marriage and she accepted immediately. The two moved to Paris. Mm. Very romantic. Ruth studied psychology at the Sorbonne, and her husband was studying medicine. So they're living in Paris, they're going to school, etc. Their marriage ended after only five years, because he wanted to go 
home Mm -hmm. and not study medicine anymore. And she was like, yeah, but I have this, like, whole career path in mind. (laughs) So let's... Yeah, but I have finals next week. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This isn't really going to work for me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So their, their marriage ended. So then... So she's going to school. Mm-hmm. And then she gets a restitution check from the West German government. Oh. Okay. Which was 5,000 Deutschmarks, which is appar- um, like up around $1,500 at the time mm-hmm. in 1950, which is a pretty big chunk of money in 1950. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Ruth left the Sorbonne <laughs> and sailed with her French boyfriend to the USA. <laughs> Hello, Ruth. Hello, doctor. (laughs) Hello. So she arrived in New York City with a place to live and a scholarship to the New School of Social Research. Once she was in New York, Mm -hmm. she married her gorgeous French boyfriend named Dan because she was pregnant. And she was like, well, we need to legitimize this (laughs) because that's what you do. So they got married and... But they were only married for a little while. She gave birth to her daughter, Miriam, and divorced Dan shortly after that. He was dull. Like, he was pretty. But intellectually, she was like, ugh, I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the documentary, documentary, she referred to her first two husbands as legal love affairs or something like that. She was like, they were fun, and they helped me grow as a person, etc., and learn about myself. But it wasn't until she met her third husband, who she was with for a very long time, and mm-hmm. grew old with, etc. So anyway, she divorced Dan, has her baby girl. She was working as a housemaid mm-hmm. and made $1 an hour. Oh, rich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to support her daughter and also pay for English lessons and evening classes at the new school, the, the research yeah. school. In 1959... She graduated with a master's degree in sociology and went to work as a research assistant at Columbia University. Oh, wow. hmm Yeah. She's fucking wicked smart. hmm It's... Look, I cannot tell you how good this Ask Dr. Ruth documentary was mm-hmm. because hearing her story in her own words and her experiences is fascinating. Yeah. Also, she's hysterical. (laughs) Where am I? Okay. She's at Columbia. She's at Columbia. So, during this time, this is er the early 60s, she goes on a ski trip to the Catskill Mountains with her six-foot-tall boyfriend, Hans. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hello, V. Gates. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh that was good ah i like it way to go <laughs> thank you um hans. so she's she's with hans mm-hmm. they're skiing and this is where ruth met a man named manfred westheimer hmm. who was also a jewish refugee and the leader of the jewish ski club Okay. Um, I think he is also an engineer. Like, that was his trade. Yeah. And so they met and fell in love. And nine months later, they got married. 
Okay. And it was very sweet. And he was a, <laughs> I put, Fred was a much more compatible physical match for Ruth at five foot five inches. <laughs> oh. oh, he was as tall as me. He's just a wee man. And so, hey. look. <laughs> look, there's a bunch of pictures in the documentary uh-huh. of them standing next to each other and then their children. Mm-hmm. And it looks like because... If she were, like, an average height for a woman, mm-hmm. which is probably about 5'5", five, 5'4", five, yeah. five, he looks very tall in comparison to her. <laughs> <laughs> so you see this picture and it's like, oh, wow, he must be huge. It's like, no, they're both just little. <laughs> just pocket size. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Let's see. After they were married, Ruth became an American citizen the couple had their second child, a son named Joel, and they moved into this really lovely little apartment in Washington Heights, mm-hmm. which is, it's in a community. Uh-huh. <laughs> is it New York? Yeah. 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 It's in New York City, Washington Heights. Yeah. We're in the Heights. Is. Yeah. And they specifically moved there. Because it's a community full of immigrants. Yeah. And they really enjoyed being with other Jewish... It's a big Jewish community uh-huh. with other, like, World War II refugees. But there were so many other cultures around, mm-hmm. and she just... They just loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know? This is just a fun fact. Tell me. <laughs> um, so, you know, at the end of Hamilton, mm-hmm. Eliza talks about opening the first private or orphanage mm-hmm. in New York City. Mm-hmm. It's in Washington Heights. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. What a fun tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love her. That's so That's so interesting. I yeah. didn't know that. Thank you. All right. Where am I? Oh, so they moved into this really cute apartment in Washington Heights, and she still lives there. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's lived in the same apartment for 55 years. Oh, Wow. She raised her children there. She became famous while she lived there. And people were like, you're so famous. Why don't you buy a big house? And she's like, because this is this is me. This is yeah. where I live. This is my community. And I was like, <laughs> she's so sweet. <laughs> like drying my eyes. <laughs> okay. She's married. She's happy. She's got her two babies mm-hmm. and her cute apartment. It's mm-hmm. the late 1960s. So Ruth took a job at Planned Parenthood in East Harlem and quite surprisingly found herself having these very frank discussions Mm -hmm. about sex and sexual health. She was like, I signed up to be (laughs) like a front desk. (laughs) I was not necessarily ready for this, but this is really interesting and I want to be involved. Mm Mm-hmm. So she soon became very comfortable in this position, and in 1967, she was appointed to project director. While she's working at Planned Parenthood, she's also working towards her doctorate degree in family and sex counseling through evening classes at Columbia. She then began training at Cornell University. Fucking impressive. Mm Mm-hmm. Under the guidance of Dr. Helen Singer Kaplan, who is kind of, I think, other than Dr. Ruth, she is the first woman Mm -hmm. to be, like, 
sex, sexual health, female sexual experience is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Like, we need to talk about it. Yeah. And she had developed, like, a sex research program at Cornell. So she's, she's working under Dr. Kaplan to train as a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And then she continued to work with Dr. Kaplan for seven years doing research and therapy, et cetera, et cetera. Ruth's life and career took a very fortunate turn in 1981. So she was giving a lecture to New York broadcasters about the need for sexual education programs. They're talking about, you know, we need to start talking about these things and not keep quiet about contraception and unwanted pregnancy and abortion. All of these are very like, oh, gosh. Yeah. We can't have these discussions. It's 81. (laughs) So the talk blew this woman out of the water. Her name is Betty Elam. Oh, Um, I thought it was going to be Oprah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not there yet. Not there yet. Um, So Betty was the community affairs manager of the New York radio station WYNY. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a radio station. And in the 80s, they had to do a certain amount of, like, educational programming. Mm-hmm. So they always put it from, like, midnight to 4 a.m. Yeah. Like, nobody's listening to this, but we're technically meeting our things, whatever. Yeah. But she was just blown away by Dr. Ruth. And so she offered with $25 a week to make this segment called Sexually Speaking, hmm. which was just a 15-minute show every Sunday at midnight. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. That's it. It's not bad. $25. Right? <laughs> you can give me $25 to work for 15 minutes. Yeah, me too. Surely. <laughs> I'm down for that. So the show was surprisingly like a huge success. Mm-hmm. People turned it, tuned in immediately and they were like, we're hooked. And every Sunday they were like, let's get some, I need to know. Yeah. So... Ruth soon had a loyal following. They expanded her time slot from 15 minutes to one hour and then to two hours and then opened up the phone lines to, like, do, like, on-air live phone calls. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they had to, they were getting so many calls that they had to screen the calls <laughs> and be like, hey, yeah, what's your, what's your question? That's a boring... <laughs> That's a boring question. Not we'll put you time. at the bottom of the list. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, we're moving you up. And Dr. Ruth loved this because she wanted to be surprised. Like, she didn't want to ever sound rehearsed or anything like that. She was like, I just want these questions coming at me, and yeah. I, I want to be able to, like, think on my toes and give these answers, which I thought was great. Yeah. By the summer of 1983, so this is whopping two years later Mm -hmm. sexually speaking was attracting a quarter of a million listeners wow and by 84 the show was nationally syndicated oh wow yeah so it really took off i wrote that her (laughs) career skyrocketed good job (laughs) her fans adored the frank and non-judgmental approach to their sexual questions However, (laughs) conservative critics found her threatening, irresponsible, and crass. What? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I can't imagine how many times she was called the devil. (laughs) 
Side note, a little fun fact. In 1985, <laughs> she was doing a lecture at Oklahoma State University, mm-hmm. and a man came up on stage and was like, Dr. Ruth, you're under arrest. Like, he was trying to citizens arrest her. Oh. <laughs> because he was like, I don't like what you're saying. It's dirty. <laughs> And everyone was like, boo, get off the stage. What a, what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. The arrogance. I know. To just be like, I don't know. And would you guess it? He's a white heterosexual man with big, goofy 80s glasses. Oh, my God. I'm uh, shocked. <laughs> I know. I wouldn't have thought at all. <laughs> In Oklahoma? In Oklahoma? <laughs> where their belt buckles are bigger than their brains. <laughs> just kidding. That was, to our Oklahoma <laughs> listeners and a lot of my family in Oklahoma. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I apologize for what Cassie's saying. Sorry. <laughs> you have family who are a bunch of Okies? Surprising. A lot of Micronesians settle there. <laughs> really? Why? Yeah. It, have you been there? It's dull. <laughs> A lot of dust. Listen, I didn't choose where they settled. Fair. Okay. I didn't choose where I settled. This is where yeah, my... but you got you got the, the good yeah, end no, of that stick. Good, for sure. Good. All right. Little situation going. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where was I? She always took <laughs> criticism, which she got a lot of because mm-hmm. it's the 80s. Yeah. Um, she always took it into account, but nevertheless, she was like, I'm providing a fucking service to these people. Yeah. You're welcome. Dr. Ruth was very open and honest, and there was an urgency f- when the AIDS crisis happened Yeah. to talk about it. And when she had her talk show, at this point, she had a talk show. Mm-hmm. And... People in the audience would ask questions and she would fucking shut shit down and be like, you do not say that in my audience. Mm-hmm. That is not something we say or we are not going to fucking blame people. Yeah. And I just it was something that really spoke to me that she was so open and honest about it. Mm-hmm. But also she was like. I believe we can find a cure. We need to take care of each other. We yeah. need to not blame, you know, yeah. these the people who are affected by it. And I just thought that was really lovely. Yeah. I didn't want to skip that. Okay. So, Dr. Ruth eventually expanded to fucking... She's everything. Yeah. She's got newspaper columns. She had a column in Playgirl magazine. Oh. And she had a television <laughs> series called Ask Dr. Ruth. Yeah. And Hold she on. also, what? Wasn't she on Oprah, like, a bunch? Oh, she was on Oprah sometimes. She okay. was also on the Joan Rivers show. Okay. Which is I just... <laughs> my favorite because she, everybody loves the one who talks like this. <laughs> I just wanted to confirm she was on Oprah. Oh, absolutely. She's been on Oprah a <laughs> bunch of times. that's what I thought about her. Like, I knew she had her own show, but I also knew she was on Oprah a bunch. Yeah. And you hadn't mentioned Oprah yet. And I was like, yeah. was she not on Oprah? Also, Am I just a dunce? I'm sure she was on uh, Sally Jesse Raphael with her big glasses <laughs> and Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. So she was on a ton, a ton of things. Um, She had her own. So what did I say? Okay. So she had her own television series. She also had her own sitcom. <laughs> which what? didn't last long. <laughs> but it was called Dr. Ruth's House. <laughs> 
What happened? <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen it. I want to find some of those episodes. We should. <gasps> Fun. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. She appeared on late night talk shows, daytime talk shows, all the talk shows. She was also on Celebrity Squares for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> and she has written over 25 books and hundreds of articles in who Everything. knows how many, yeah. you know, publications. All right. Over the years, Dr. Vestheimer has received many awards for her work, including an honorary doctorate degree from Trinity College and the Medal for Distinguished Service from the Teachers College at Columbia University. In November of 1996, this is like the infancy of the World Wide Web. And me. And you. Lord <sighs> <laughs> <I> have mercy. <laughs> She launched a website featuring daily sex tips and advice columns. Hmm. Just this past June, she celebrated her 91st birthday. Dr. Ruth is as active as ever. She continues to write books and a weekly article for the New York Times. She teaches classes at Hunter College and Columbia University. Hmm. And she's an avid tweeter. <laughs> and <laughs> should follow her. Two other two other tweets. Um, (laughs) that I, uh, really just, they tickled me, Mm -hmm. was, uh, when it comes to sex, the most important six inches are the ones between the ears. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which was, I thought was very classy. (laughs) And, (laughs) this is a good one. You know, one of the best things about sex, it's not hackable even when using a back door. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, look okay (laughs) she is wicked smart yeah she's fucking funny as shit yeah and she has zero problems talking about what everyone is like tight-lipped and tense and weird about talking about yeah there's a clip where she's on arsenio hall Mm -hmm. and She's like, I want you to say something. Uh, (laughs) I want you to say vagina and clitoris. (laughs) And Arsenio, Mm -hmm. who is a black man, got so red. (laughs) She was like, you say penis on this show all the time. (laughs) And so he says it in like the tiniest whisper. And it's just so funny that she's like. We're going to say it. We're going to scream it from the mountaintops. Let's not make this weird. Yeah. She's a fucking gem. Wow. That was nice. Thank you. (laughs) I know her as a figure. I know nothing about her. Yeah. And I knew, vaguely knew some stuff from the trailer for the documentary. Mm -hmm. Everybody should go watch it. It's an hour and a half. It's on Hulu. Ugh. It's just really, really (laughs) wonderful. Okay. All right. Your turn. Okay, let's get going. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you today about Saida Alhara. We're going to talk about ladies who smashed colonial powers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's what you said um, last episode. And yeah. I was like, I'm g- maybe I'm wrong. The, the, the look on one, your face said I The was other wrong. one was like a light little dig at colonial powers but then this one is more more of it 
Anyways. Okay. So one of the main sources that I used was an article called Saida Alhara, The Loving Avenging Pirate Queen by Laura Suk Duncombe. And then another article on Jezebel.com that I did not write down. I love Jezebel. Yes. Great website. I wish I'd read it. Also, I love pirates. I'm very excited about this. I like pirates a lot, too. You, yeah, I like, you've no, hold talked on. about... I like lady pirates. Yeah, you've talked about pirates a couple times. Because <laughs> male pirates are usually garbage. They're trash. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Oh. <laughs> Ching-chi, yeah. She is... Ching-chi is also in... That book, yeah. Bygone Badass Broads. She sure is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm excited about all of it. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about... What's her name again? Repeat one more time. Saeed. Saeed. Okay. Yes. And we'll get into actually name stuff. Mm-hmm. So Saeed was born in 1485 to oh. a Muslim family in Granada. Going way back. Yes. Okay. Uh, her fa- her father's name was Maloy Ali Ibn Rashid Alami. <laughs> and her mother's name was Zora Fernandez. So her mother was Spanish. Okay. <laughs> and her father like, was Muslim. Wow. We went just in a whole different direction <laughs> with that name. <laughs> Okay, fair. <laughs> so Saida Alhara wasn't her given name, but that information has actually been lost to time. Oh. AKA we don't know her real name. Okay. Saida Alhara is actually not a name at all, but more of an honorific. So Saida is the female form of Said, which means lord. Oh, okay. And Alhara means the honored, mm-hmm. which is a title traditionally given at the time to a woman who held a position of independent power. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, that makes sense. So it was a, essentially like Lord Queen is <laughs> what her name is because we don't know her name. Yes. <laughs> when she was pretty young, her family went through a huge change in their living situation. So you see, in 1492, that bitch sailed the ocean blue. Oh, no. So things were, things were in power, but he actually has nothing to do okay. with this. Like, but, what a fart in a box. We hate him. <laughs> but in 1492, the Spanish colonizers were up to their usual fuckery <laughs> and conquered the kingdom of Granada. Oh. Their armies murdered, pillaged, and enslaved about 100,000 of Granada's Muslim population and forced 20,000 of the Muslim population out of the area. The fuck? Yes. This 20,000 included Said and her family. So her family got out. Mm-hmm. They ended up settling in what is now modern-day Morocco on Africans, Africa's northwestern coast. Mm-hmm. And this is many refugees fleeing from Spain settled there and transformed the city into what would become known as the Blue Pearl. Oh. For the distinctive shade they painted all the walls. Oh, the houses. lovely. Uh, here is where she spent the remainder of her childhood. Uh, and she received a pretty good education here and learned languages, theology, mathematics, and other disciplines. Okay. Among her tutors was Abdallah al-Gavanzi, who was a famed religious scholar and architect who nowadays is honored in Sufism as one of the seven saints of Marrakesh. Okay. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) It's something important. Yes. Okay. (laughs) We're just being real honest. Yeah. We don't know what we're talking about. I put that... I was like, oh, this person's important. I'm going to put this sentence in about it. Didn't go into that. Should have. <laughs> and again, I apologize for robbing the people of more knowledge. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so even though it seems she had a fairly good childhood in Morocco, at a young age, this bitch was jaded. Uh, she vowed that the Spanish would pay for what they did to her and her peers. Oh, shit. And really held it close to her heart. Good for her. For revenge. <laughs> I'm sure that did wonders for her self-esteem. I mean, spite is a powerful thing. It, it sure is. So, while living in Morocco, she married another refugee named Abu al-Hassan al-Mandri. He was many years her senior. However, despite the age difference, they seemed to get along well and had a genuine respect for one another. Mm. Uh, Her husband was the head of another prominent refugee family who lived in and governed nearby Tetuan, which had been fucked by the Spanish, in 1490. Mm. So, they were both... Tetuan... T-E-T-O-U-A-N. No, no. It made me think. I was like, is that where Jar Jar Binks lives? And that's not. It's Tatooine. Yeah, Tatooine. (laughs) But it made me. I was like, hmm, that sounds familiar. I wonder why. Oh, because the fucking Jamaican lizard lives there. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was. I thought it and said it at the same time, and I couldn't stop myself. You know I'm insecure, girl. I know. Please continue. (laughs) So they ruled the city side by side, united in their hatred of the Spanish and the Portuguese. Fair. (laughs) Saida didn't take a backseat to their ruling. In fact, she was seen as her husband's partner in the diplomatic game. Mm -hmm. That's unusual. Yeah. No? Yeah? It's it's unusual, but it wasn't unheard of. Oh, okay. Okay. Because, I mean, keep in mind, we've talked about... Khadijah. Khadijah. Okay. Yeah. yeah Muhammad's yeah, okay. wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. No, that makes sense. <laughs> so, like, women c- can hold positions of power. Okay. But it was few and far between. Mm-hmm. At this time, her and her husband began the process of rebuilding the city after the Spanish destruction. The high walls that fortified the city were re-erected, and then the Grand Mosque was built, and they mm. also made the streets narrow and maze-like to ward off any invaders. Interesting. So they ensured that it wouldn't happen again. Okay. So in 1515, her husband died, unfortunately, mm. but it left Said to rule alone in his place. In the sentence, next sentence, it was unusual for a woman to rule an Islamic <laughs> society at the time, but far from unknown. Okay. <laughs> Boy, if I had just wait a goddamn second. <laughs> you jumped you jump the gun. All the time. <laughs> um, competency was the key to leadership, and as long as she was able to do the job, that was enough for the people. Okay. And boy, did she do the, the damn thing. With complete control now, she knew it was time to really start plotting her revenge towards the Spanish. And Saida wasn't alone in her desire to exact revenge. Remember, the city she's ruling over is full of refugees mm-hmm. or victims of Spanish colonizers' brutality. So, she had a lot of support. <laughs> um, and actually, Saeed's husband had began fortifying uh, Tatooine. Tatooine. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> take full responsibility for that. Oh, I'm an asshole. (laughs) Anyways, her husband had begun fortifying the city with the intention of launching a holy war against the Catholics. 
Solid. Okay. But he could never quite coordinate his efforts while he was alive, so his plans remained unsuccessful. Saida had a plan, though. <laughs> she knew she needed more people on her side for this plan to work and enlisted the help of the most feared men on the water, Barbary pirates known as the Barbosa of Algiers. Oh. They were the spark that the city needed to ignite their attack against the Spanish and Portuguese. Saida, presumably under the Barbosa's guidance, assembled a fleet and began her strikes on the Portuguese shipping routes in the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, shit. Yes. If she couldn't regain Granada, she was going to make them pay. <laughs> <laughs> and she did with the money that she stole from the Catholics during these <laughs> Catholics and the Spanish. So, with an agreement from Orc Rez, who was the leader of the Barbary Pirates, she controlled the western half of the Mediterranean oh. and would give... The pirates one-third of her spoils mm -hmm. for allowing her to be there. And because of her position and her success on the water, the Portuguese traders who bore the brunt of the raids, uh -huh. even though she was mostly trying to attack the Spanish, really hated her. Just absolutely that's, despised her. Not surprising. Which is fair. Yeah. But also... <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's believed that she wasn't typically on these ships. However... She might have been. Okay. <laughs> it, it's up It's up in the air, mm -hmm. but she did definitely control them. And she ran the show behind the scenes if she even, if she wasn't on the boats. She's pulling all the strings. Yes. She's the puppet master. Oh, I like it. And she often negotiated the ransoms from many Portuguese and Spanish sailors her men had captured. Hmm. A capture from one of her men's voyages included the wife of a Portuguese governor for whom she received a hefty payment. It was at one of these negotiations that she was dubbed, quote, a very aggressive and bad-tempered woman about everything. <laughs> you know what? You know what I say to that? <laughs> I love a bad-tempered woman. <laughs> I married one. My bestie is one. Look, I have a bad temper. <laughs> you both it look is, like little cherubs. <laughs> Me? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I really liked that quote about her. <laughs> However bad-tempered her enemies saw her as, she was loved by her own people. The money she received from the raids were used to build up the city she governed even further. And the struggling, struggle, struggling refugees that had lost everything on their journey away from their homes, were given financial compensation that allowed them to rebuild their lives. Oh, wow. So she was... Good for her. Super popular. Yeah. And it's like she knew... I mean, she knew what it was like. Yeah, exactly. She was like, oh, hey, I know what it's like to have all your shit taken away. Mm -hmm. And your life turned upside down. Yeah, exactly. Here, let me help with what I can. Yeah. With the money that I took from the people <laughs> who caused it. <laughs> Which is... Restitution! <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she became allies with the French and Ottoman empires at this time because I didn't put this in, but the guy who was in charge of the Barbosa pirates uh -huh. actually became, or his brother became the leader of the Ottoman empire. Oh, okay. So that's, she was like, okay, well, I'm friends with the Ottomans now. And then in turn, we're friends with the French because of it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But with their two, like, big powers behind her, she was able to arrange a great feat. And it was the raid of on Gibral Gibraltar 
1540. Okay. Gibraltar, great word. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) At the time, Gibraltar was a possession of Charles V, the Holy Roman Empire, Mm -hmm. emperor. He wasn't the whole thing. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He thought he was, but he wasn't. (laughs) And he was a rival of the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. And so they all collectively decided that that needed to be dealt with. (laughs) The Turks and Saida invaded the island and were able to free a large number of slaves and also managed to capture a large number of their locals. Oh. And make them slaves for making <laughs> <laughs> So they were like, oh, you want to take our people and make them slaves? Right back at you. Mm, how which, do you like that? <laughs> which, like, maybe we just shouldn't do that. Let's not, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was a... It's it a different another, time. Yeah, it was another time. <laughs> They didn't manage to capture and hold Gibraltar, but it's doubtful that they ever intended to. So they just wanted to do a quick Mm -hmm. hit and run. In the end, the Turks suffered less than 20 casualties and captured at least 70 locals plus 15 crewmen. Oh. By this time, Saida's control over the Barbary pirates in the Western Mediterranean made her a power to be reckoned with in the Muslim kingdoms of Northern Africa. This caught the eye of the Watsa. What I sound what, it out. What a seed caught the eye of the Wadasid Sultan of Morocco. Mm. So the king. And he proposed a marriage alliance with her. Okay. She was able to dictate her own terms of the arrangement and agreed to marry him, making her the queen of Morocco. Oh shit. Yes. The marriage appears to have been a solely diplomatic one, and the two actually lived in completely separate places for i think almost all of the marriage okay (laughs) and even though she was queen now she never gave up her governorship Mm -hmm. of tetuan (laughs) you screwed me up every time you look at me i feel shame um but she was the governor of that city for more than 30 years oh wow so even as queen she was like i'm not i dictate my own terms this is still mine she's fucking moving on up but she's like no 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 but that I'm s- I got you. Yeah. I'm still in charge of that. Exactly. <laughs> in 1542, her rule finally came to an end. There was an uh, open war with Portugal that destabilized trade in the city and set the stage for her overthrow. Taking advantage of this, I believe it was one of her cousins. So a king... No, let me just read my fucking notes. <laughs> <laughs> Taking you wrote them for a reason. <laughs> Taking advantage of this, a kinsman of Said's first husband and the husband of her daughter reached out to all of the enemies of her new husband. Okay. Oh, okay. So there's some, like, shady shit going on in the background. Yes. They're going to her, to her enemies. Yes. There, there's some cahoots happening. Yes. Cahoots are in full swing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cahoots. <laughs> Um, And the war with Portugal offered them a chance to position themselves in such a way that they were saviors of the kingdom. Mm. And it set them on a path to then take over the kingdom within 15 years. Oh. Yeah. So with their support, uh, this guy, whose name was Ahmed, forced Saida to abdicate. Mm -hmm. And so she retired to her childhood home. Not in Spain. Not in Granada. Yeah. The one she originally settled in. She lived there for about another 20 years and then died in 1561. Oh. Peacefully. In her bed. 
That's nice. I don't know. We're going to say that. Okay. In her bed. <laughs> we make history. Where else does one die peacefully? Not Elvis in a pool. died on a toilet. That doesn't seem peacefully. Some private. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> uh, the old city of Tuan. Tetuan. Hate you. <laughs> the old city of Tetuan is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Oh wow! And mostly in part due to the restoration that Saida and her husband did during their time. In That's power. amazing. Yeah, so you can still visit the city, and it's pretty, like, well intact. Uh huh. That's very cool. Yeah. And that's that on that. That's a great story. Thank you. Pirates. She was kind of. I mean, she was a pirate. Yeah. And they call her a pirate queen because she literally became queen. Yes, I like that. Yeah. What a great story, pirate queens. I'm into it. I like I like lady pirates. Male mm-hmm. pirates too much like raping, pillaging. Yeah. Like not boo. my jam. Lady pirates, a lot more blowing shit up, yeah. taking all their tre- treasure. <laughs> Just revenge all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Those ill-tempered women. In a past life, Danny was she a was lady a pirate. pirate. A hundred percent. She actually used to have a whole bunch of pirate stuff. She used to have a fun shirt. She's got big, long knee socks that are pirates. <laughs> Our matey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we uh, forgot to do the thing again. Do it. Do it. Please. Yeah, we're supposed to be doing it between our stories and we are failing. <laughs> At least we're mentioning it. That's true. And what we're speaking of is the giveaway that we have planned. Yep. So for maybe another week or two. Yeah. You have the opportunity to win a handcrafted something from Cassie that mm-hmm. you will in- discuss within reason. Mm-hmm. You just have to enter into this raffle, which I'm now calling it, by <laughs> <laughs> rating, reviewing, and subscribing uh, wherever you're listening. Mm-hmm. And then just, if we can't see it, go ahead and send it to us at yeah. our If it's Gmail. on anything other than on Apple, mm-hmm. you can you can still do it. Yeah. Just let us know. Yeah. By sending it, screenshotting it, and sending it to our email, thatbroadscottmoxie at gmail.com. That's right. Also, you can show us your love and support by following us on our social medias. We are at... Uh, <laughs> sorry. We're at That Broad's Got Moxie on Facebook and Insta. And on Twitter, we are at Broad's Got Moxie. Mm-hmm. Also, when does this come out? This comes out the first... Week, week of December. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Happy all of the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, our Patreon should be up. Yeah, we will keep you posted. Check our because we're not done with it yet. We still got several weeks as of the time space continuum. Oh, to yeah. get things to get on by the end of November. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and check that out. Uh, you know, we'll post it on all of our social media stuff, and. We'll let everybody know when that's mm-hmm. up and ready to ready to be patronized. <laughs> that, that works. It does, right? That's that's what it means. Okay. <laughs> okay. Merry Christmas. Bye. And happy Hanukkah and happy Kwanzaa and happy holidays. Yeah. Winter solstice.
all of the things. <laughs> we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick it to the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.